You're listening to the Construction Talk podcast, brought to you by Causeway Technologies. Tune in to hear from the industry leaders pushing construction forward. Hi, I'm Peter Haddock and welcome to another edition of Construction Talk. And I'm super excited today, folks, because the guest I've got on is got the ultimate job that I'm interested in having because he loves to talk about digital and that is Nathan Marsh from Turner and Townsend. Nathan, welcome onto the podcast and please tell everybody what your title is and that'll give them a little bit of an insight into what we're going to talk about today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hello Peter, thank you for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Um, Peter, I'm the Chief Digital Officer at Turner and Townsend. Uh, it's a new role at Turner and Townsend. I've been there for just under a year. Uh, it's a fantastic company in great shape that has real reach across the sector. But the role of the CBO, the Chief Digital Officer, really embodies our focus and our commitment to leveraging digital and data and changing and improving the way that we provide our services into construction and infrastructure projects. And you know, Nathan, it's a sign of the times for me to see that uh, Chief Digital Officer role coming into play, because it really does show the importance big businesses like Turner and Townsend are placing within the digital environment. Digital-led solutions are really coming into their own, aren't they? And, and people have learned to do things differently. How do you think things have changed and, and what has been the impact of this in your business and, and the wider sector? Well, it's a great question, Peter, and very timely. I think particularly the past few years, we've seen the need to embrace technology and normalise technology uh, in all aspects of work, not just the conduct of delivering infrastructure. So firstly, I think this mass wave of normalisation uh, being forced into using it has probably increased our capability to use technology across us as a society. That mustn't and can't be underestimated. Secondly, the tech itself is getting increasingly capable. We work a lot with software robots and machine learning for data modelling, etc., visualisation on our major programmes. And the capability within the technology is profound and will only get more capable. There's also a big recognition about security, data security, system security. You know, talking right from the upfront investment community through to the design houses, to then the tier one contractors, right through to those that will operate the asset. All of that needs good control, needs to be in place in the right sequence, right governance around it. Those dominoes can fall down pretty quickly if there's a major breach or if the integrity of the system is put in jeopardy. So I'm really focused on, I think we should all be really focused on, as well as the capability within the software and the technology, make sure it's uh, secure, resilient and robust by design. And then finally, purpose. I'm really keen as well that as well as rolling out these fantastic technologies that we're really focused on the purpose how is the use of technology going to make something safer quicker better faster uh, is it going to make it more inclusive and accessible those are the tests of the technology and of the systems as well as as, as well as their own speed and pace and momentum so i think if we put those things together it's a new framework through which to view successful construction and infrastructure delivery Nathan, what is really exciting about all of that is you're talking about a framework. People are used to hearing the word framework as you bid for projects and things like that. 
getting the data right at the very start is absolutely critical, particularly for complex and larger projects, because if one data input is wrong, it's wrong throughout the whole project, isn't it? So talk to me a little bit about that, your phrase that pays as such, the getting data right. Well, there's a lot in those three words. Um, what, what we do know beyond question is that in major construction programs, and in fact, I think most construction projects, frankly, but particularly the megas, the amount of data that's needed to set the program up, the amount of data that's generated through the delivery phase, and the delivery cycles and the amount of data needed and generated by the assets being operated afterwards is only going one way in terms of volume and complexity so that means that we've got to get data right we've got to get right to strategy every major program needs a data strategy in the same way that it has a schedule probably got a financial strategy as well um, both for funding and financing. We need to see data strategies normalized across major programs. What system is going to be in place? What architecture is going to hold it all together? What, what, what data is going to flow between which members of the supply chain? Which systems? At which points? At which points in the schedule are we going to have a data clash, etc.? How is the data going to be structured, secured? What sort of naming conventions are we going to use? What permissions are we going to use? contractually does the contractual landscape allow and enable the right sort of data sharing this is just a data conversation let alone commodities skills risks these are other layers the complexity in mega programs is profound and i think data alone which is the kind of as we know the fuel for these programs needs to be got right and i would also say getting it right means that someone has got to be in the first boots on the ground when they start to look at how to set up and design these major programs. And the thing we should be looking at is the data flows, first of all. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. And what's interesting is I've been talking to a lot of people in the industry and obviously construction, yes, if it's in major cities and stuff, connectivity is there. But fundamentally for a digital construction site you actually need to look at the infrastructure first that we need to digitalize it so are we putting 5g repeater towers in are, have we got the right kind of connectivity are we allowed to fly in the areas to collect the data through drones how are we using you know robots and things like that like the boston dynamics dog and and things to go into places and spaces and and get that framework right Talk to me about what you're doing with kind of digital pathways that include things like the digital rehearsal. If you look at some of the uh, work we're doing with IPA on the route map, the program delivery route map, and also our partnership with um, IPA and CBI on programs with purpose, they both really focus on getting a clear architecture set up right at the start of the program and ideally as part of the investment case that shows how different systems, different tools, different capabilities fit together. That's absolutely now mission critical for getting a good outcome out of a program proposition. Part of that will be things like, how do we set up a digital rehearsal? Do we want a digital twin of the ultimate asset? Seems wise. Um, investors certainly like to see it. I'd say we, have, we need a digital twin of the schedule so we can run different scenarios, do some modeling, worst case scenarios, in a digital version of the schedule and then plug it back into the real schedule. So, and actually if we're assisted by RPA, what we're doing is beginning to constantly have a wave of scenario predicting and modeling different outcomes. When things change outside the program, like commodity availability, 
commodity pricing. We saw the disruption of the sewage canal uh, blockage gave major infrastructure programs uh, last year. And that will happen again. Um, so we need to start to use technology and support how we can conduct the right sort of digital rehearsals, digital modelling across major programs. All of this really, to me, it's all about one version of the truth. So, you know, everybody's gone, oh, I'm on version 1.0. You know, have you upgraded your iPhone to 15.3.4 XYZ? We have a problem, um, not just with data management, we have a problem if people aren't on the right version of their actual project. And in order to make that work, we need to be able to do things in real time and, and create, you know, working models and 3D fluid work models and workflows. Tell me a bit about the work you've been doing on that, because fundamentally that can really deliver better outcomes or if you get it wrong, it can be a disaster from a data perspective. So in many of our programs, we adopt the Project 13 Gemini principles and also some principles from systems-based approach uh, thinking as well, where we see the program as an interconnected system. And for a system to work, Peter, as you hinted at, it's all got to, to use your analogy, upgrade to the same version at the same time. You can't have different versions because systems and tools then stop talking to each other, which causes some of those data blockages, dependencies get missed, etc. So again, rather like having a data strategy for a program, if we take a systems-based approach and adopt the Gemini principles, this thing, this undertaking, needs to be seen as one organic system. So there needs to be things like a strategy or a plan in place and protocols in place to ensure that software versions and updates are coordinated to ensure that contractually back-to-back -back dependencies between different suppliers are enabled both on a commercial basis but also on a systems basis right down to versions of software as we've just discussed interoperability between systems data sharing rules the devil is in the detail and this is the sort of detail we need to get down to on a day-by-day, -day, system by system, version by version uh, perspective. And if we get that right and build that rigor and sort of fidelity of detail up, then these big programs that will have thousands of these nodes and intersections will start to get a better outcome. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about that is if you set that stall up and you, you can actually then take full advantage of what I call the real-time data acquisition and project management based on that data acquisition. So a lot of the things we talk about are data, but data for data's sake it is pointless. Data when we've got it giving and delivering us insights into what's happening is really exciting. I take a great example in the earthworks sector that says, why have we got a lot of idle time on our, uh, on our machines uh, today? Well, actually, in real time, there's pings coming left, right and centre to say that the prime earth mover has broken down. So there is a long tail of articulated dump trucks not doing anything idling because they're not being filled. If you've got that data at the end of a day, it's too late to act on it. If you have that data in real time, you can actually... Uh, make changes to that, move equipment around, stand people down or or change the project and its delivery. Similarly, if you've got, like you said there, the anomalies of commodities earlier, 
if you're not going to get those delivered to site because the steel is not there in the uh, in the fabricators because it's still on the ship, then actually, if you know those things, you can connect the different elements of a project uh, and utilize those connected assets to change the scope of works and keep things going whilst you're waiting for that uh, that, that piece to arrive. But that is really about connecting the whole piece from end to end and the assets that are involved in it, isn't it? Tell me how you, you're, you're helping clients and, and people think about that and manage that. No one's got a crystal ball for this, but we can be more aware. Uh, we can have more foresight and spot early indicators. Um, <clears throat> there have been enough mega projects and complex construction projects in the UK for us to get the data, and we are doing this for some clients, and start to identify what likely early indicators of future issues might be model them into the schedule so think back to having your digital version of the schedule where you have almost a simulated version of your schedule so you can run the different scenarios and when the early indicators start to happen you can look forward predict and model and it won't be a hundred percent right but it might be more right than wrong which is all we need to make improvements on a day-by-day -day basis to start to work out when risks might turn into issues and try and intervene and deal with the underlying cause of them rather than trying to repair them real-time data on a day-by-day -day basis on major construction sites will absolutely help that. In turn, I'd also suggest we need to do more predictive modeling and foresight modeling using some of those early indicators that, that we know are there. It's just about giving programs a greater situational awareness of what's going on around them and what some of the early indicators of risks look like dealing with the spillage of scaffold poles once it's happened. And that really brings me on nicely to another area which I love in digitalization, which is digitalizing the visualization of construction. It's using new technologies like uh, augmented reality, like VR uh, and things like that to actually bring a project to life and utilizing that in a way in which it can help people that are all part of the different scale in a project. This is really exciting, isn't it? Because, you know, you can see an original, even uh, a structure that is going to be demolished and what's then going to replace it. How do you think that's going to, to really help us uh, go from what I call demolition to demolition? So demolishing the original, building it a new thing, and then demolishing the, ne uh, the, the next thing years and years later. There are great examples in some of the new nuclear, high speed two, other major programs of using really smart technology to help visualize different scenarios, to help induct colleagues uh, before they come on site, to conduct ever essential um, rehearsals before they go out on site to do a bit of asset maintenance or, or the next phase of the construction program. The technology speaks for itself, but some of the gaming technology that's being repurposed in certain construction vendors is absolutely phenomenal. It's completely immersive and you effectively do two or three versions of what you're about to do, whether you're training, whether you're inducting people on site, whether you're conducting a bit of asset maintenance or conducting a bit of um, construction work or even doing incident response if there's been an event that needs an extra, well, quite literally, an extra pair of eyes on. This technology for visualisation and immersion is absolutely here to stay and I would want to see it always mandated on construction sites to improve safety, to improve speed, 
improve accuracy, getting things right first time. And I'm really excited at the way that in some cases, in some instances, major construction infrastructure programs are embracing this technology. And we are seeing, like I said earlier, the same jobs being done, but in a very, very different way. And they're getting it right first time. We can be more efficient, productive and, and construct better, but using less carbon is embedded into that whole digital journey, isn't it? Tell me, you know, how excited you are about that, that whole life cycle costing, but also the, the, the way in which we can get to net zero faster with all of this technology. It's going to be very hard to get decarbonisation without digitization due to the complexity of understanding where embedded carbon resides in the process, in the commodities, and in some cases in the assets which might be being demolished or might be just being upgraded. So some of that is keyhole surgery. We need to use technology to get more accurate logs and do more accurate audits of the process, the commodity, and of the asset, whether it's being dropped or upgraded. We need to get far better at doing that. And that needs, again, to be uh, normalised in the contractuals for these programmes, the kind of digital audits of carbon. Secondly, we need to be very clear on what we're going to do differently. Uh, and then thirdly, we need to evidence it as well. Offset already sounds old-fashioned. So how do we commit and show that we've committed to reducing carbon right from design, engineering, delivery, and then asset operation? And that's ways of working, that's different items and commodities that we use. And most crucially, then, is the evidence to show that. And that, I'm afraid, is going to go back down into the topic of data because we need to understand and evidence that the old carbon footprint and the new carbon footprint of whichever process or commodity, in the new one, it's less, and here's the proof that it's less. You've got to tell me how much carbon it's going to take you to do that item over here, to do that specific task and measure that and that people are wanting that within that whole framework of delivery i like the keyhole surgery element as well that you talked about there because if you can have 3d models you know exactly where everything is you can do that keyhole surgery instead of ripping everything apart and there are new advancing technologies that allow you to do it when we are looking actually nathan at those sort of things that are out there you know everybody knows there's drones there i've alluded to you know the the boston dog and things like that but what are the technologies that you're seeing that you're maybe maybe seeing first in fact that, that for other people will see in the coming months or years that really excite you about um, taking the digital construction site forward some of the ones that i've seen that really raise my eyebrows are the ones that you can't see robotic process automation for things like payment schedules um, contract management spotting duplicate payments disallowed costs helping contractors stay on the prompt payment code. These are the invisible helpers that will turn, and I've seen this firsthand on programs that are happening now, turn a 10 or 15 minute task into a 10 or 15 second task. They'll do it 24, seven, three, six, five. If it's tuned correctly, it will be 100% right, or certainly 100% consistent. And the anomalies, whether it's half a dozen a week rather than say 4,000 a week, then go up to a human, quite rightly so, for those anomalies to be checked. That has absolutely transformed the pace of the back office and the PMO. It's transformed the accuracy. It's also helped get cash flow throughout the supply chain, particularly to SMEs. Now, that will never appear on the front cover of Construction Week because you can't see them. But the benefits are massive. So I'm very excited by the drones, by the... Uh, 
Organisation goggles. I'm very excited by the Boston Dynamics dog. I'm excited about some autonomous uh, plant that we're seeing as well. But the things that are really making a difference right now are the bots that we can't see, but it's the performance that we can see that excites me. Of course, digital is absolutely brilliant, but nothing happens without people, without the skills that are needed, and without the investment in those people and those skills. So it, we're a fast evolving sector at the moment. We're, we're faced with a lot of challenges. And so it's ultimately the people and them collaborating with each other that are gonna make digital work. What's your thoughts on this, Nathan? Um, as a CDO, you might not expect me to say this, but the most important person in the room is the person in the room. The systems and tools will help that person concentrate on the right things. They will help teams elevate to use the power and ingenuity they have to solve the big problems. There's some repetitive, important, heavy lifting that characterizes all major programs, construction infrastructure. I've seen well-being issues occur because of the ongoing, repetitive, monotonous nature of those important tasks. That's where smart people should get smart software and smart digital systems to pick up that workload so we can elevate ourselves to the real high-value tasks that the human brain is capable of doing. So digital needs to be a means to the end. The systems need to support um, kind of humans in the loop, humans in the process. And we should also focus on then what we do um, with either the spare time, the elevated skills, or some of the value that these systems can add. And I've seen robotic process automation. I've seen great technologies deployed on site, deliver value into the program. So reduced QRA, frees up spare budget. Now, where do we make the next wave of investment decisions, whether it's profit or retained budget or underspend on a program? Why don't we invest in academies? Why don't we invest in digital engineering or software engineering skills to get the next wave of construction leaders equipped and tooled up to kind of continue the transformation of our sector? So this isn't just about the tool doing the job, which is an important bit. It's about getting the benefit, capturing the benefit, and then reinvesting it in the evolution of our sector. That really excites me, taking a full life cycle view to the benefits of technology not just having a system that can see for a wall, which is pretty cool, but so what? Give me some examples that are going to be important moving forward and the things, the watchwords that are going to be in the dictionaries, as it were, of the future. It's inconceivable to think that a major construction project or programme a major infrastructure asset being operated. Inconceivable to think that in the, in the very near future, a pretty advanced level of digital skills won't be required to do the job. Inconceivable. So we have a duty to those in our sector to support learning, education, on-the-job learning as well, and development to digitally equip our colleagues so they're more comfortable dealing with data, they're more comfortable dealing with visualization. They're more comfortable understanding how they can check the work of software robots, how they can leverage the benefits of things like drones, autonomous plants, etc. These things will just become commonplace and normal. And actually, when you think about the technology and power within most people's gadgets, uh, handhelds, etc., tablets, I think we're a lot more digitally literate than I think we probably realize. But absolutely, we have a duty to look at the skills, the training, the education that we need across the sector. And I would like to see digital being a life skill 
in our sector. I think it's absolutely essential and people shouldn't be scared. We should make the right investments, take people on the journey, our colleagues on the journey with us. We've got to invest a lot of money in people to, for them to become the digital people assets that we need. And if we are foolish enough to invest some money in those people and then lose them to other sectors, that is a tragedy, isn't it? And so what do you think we need to do in that space? And what are the future roles that, that you're seeing? Um, look, I, I would say this, but I think our sector is really hot. I think it's really alluring place to work. I think we can learn from other sectors. So firstly, let's not be ashamed to be a net importer of skills. Let's import some real digital talent. Uh, I think we need it. Um, a investment bank, who I spoke to earlier this week, a global investment bank, employs 32,000 software engineers. They're not a tech firm, they're a bank. That is just to do predictive analytics. For them, obviously, it's around trading and pricing. What's our equivalent of that commitment? This doesn't mean that what we're doing now isn't right. It's about us getting fit for the future. So one of the things that I'm really excited about, Nathan, is when you're talking about things like that, importing skills, what we can be is actually a more inclusive and more diverse industry. We have got an inclusion and diversity issue in this construction sector and I think it does stop people coming into the sector but once you've come into construction it is an exciting place but I think having this different mindset and this sort of digital literacy approach as well allows us to go out to the wider industry and say listen this is not the place you thought it was we need you these are exciting roles and we could hopefully attract more diverse range of people and, and, and be a better employer. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's really important that we need to work out as part of our skills strategy for our sector what we think the right mix is. The mix is really important. We need a lot of construction and infrastructure delivery experience because a lot of it involves heavy lifting. I don't think that will change for a while. We have an increasing primacy and an increasing focus on software development, engineering, coding, cyber, analytics. All construction projects and all construction programs will see an increasing demand for these sorts of skills. So let's think about skills and experience. So we need the experience from the sector and from, from adjacent sectors. We also need to bring in skills from elsewhere. Software engineers, developers, coders from different industries could bring us a fresh perspective. I've mentioned earlier retail, retail banking, health. These sectors have transformed through technology. It's inconceivable to think that we can't learn from some of those digital leaders that have taken those sectors through the gears. So I'd like to see the mix and the formula of skills and experience in our sector really addressed. We shouldn't be uh, ashamed to import skills from outside the sector. One of the things I wanted to get from you, though, Nathan, is obviously you're working at the cutting edge with a very big business that's been working with really big major projects and clients. There are a lot of people out there, smaller companies, that are looking down this role of digital and are probably just looking in lots of different directions, you know, almost thinking, where do I turn first? What do I do? Have you got any guidance or thoughts on how that they can tackle the challenges that they face? Because it can be all-consuming when you're trying to run a business, do the job, and though digital at the same time. 
Yeah, look, I, I have a massive amount of respect for our small and medium-sized enterprises. I think the UK is a hugely enterprising culture. So it's brilliant to see so many of them working really effectively across many of our construction projects. Um, on occasion, I do sense there's a bit of a product push, and quite rightly so, if I had a product, I'd want to push it. Um, but maybe coming together more as a community of small, exciting, vibrant companies and trying to solve a common goal or have a common mission, that could really change the narrative. Um, also, it's great to see government mandate the use of small and medium-sized businesses on projects. I think that's really good to see. And it would also help in things like the economic rebalancing of our country as well, where um, you know we're mandated to bring small, medium and large companies together. But I do think coming together a little more and sharing in some of the common and shared objectives of our sector would be helpful uh, because there are no shortage of enthusiastic small businesses out there trying to sell people like myself and yourself kits and equipment and systems and tools. That's good. We need that. But I think a bit more coherence and a bit more of a logical approach across these businesses would help them add value more quickly to major programmes. What comes next? What's the really exciting thing that you're doing and, and, and that we can really see coming down the pipe, as it were, uh, later on? Things like some of the digital controls work we're doing at Heathrow, where we're helping them manage a portfolio of one and a half thousand complex projects. We're using technology to manage the complexity around interdependencies, portfolio management, etc. So that's really exciting. And I mentioned that because that's a core service of ours at Turner and Townsend, but we're now using tech to make the service ever more potent and ever more relevant. So I'm really excited about that kind of service transformation work we're doing. And that's embodied in the great work at Heathrow. We're also very excited about our partnership with CBRE. Um, that's really strengthened our balance sheet, given us reach, and it's a mutually beneficial partnership. So we do feel now that we're even more of a uh, powerhouse in construction, engineering, and infrastructure programs. So I'm really excited about that. And then lastly, and I would say this, um, digital will be the hottest game in town at Turner & Townsend. So I'm really excited that we're growing the business hard, we would welcome anyone that wants to come and talk to us about working with us, working for us, or working near us. Um, we are on a journey to digitise what we do and who we are, and we don't want to do it on our own. You're embracing digital right now. Look at the future that you're going to have, because there are a lot of people needed in this space. And what you're saying there is, if you're one of those people, come and talk to Turner and Townsend, because we want the best of you, but equally... What I really appreciate you saying, Nathan, is come and talk to us, come and try and work with us, come and try and learn with us, come and try and give us ideas as well so that we can accelerate the digital journey. Nathan, what a phenomenal insight you've given us into the new emerging chief digital officer role of construction. It's great to talk to you, Nathan, today. Thanks very much for coming on Construction Talk. Thanks, Peter. A pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to Construction Talk. If you loved this episode, discover more over at causeway.com forward slash construction talk. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.